0: And it is Saturday. A pretty crazy Saturday. Busy weekend in the soccer world. You name it, it's happening this weekend. Copa America final. Brazil Argentina. Euro 2020 final. Yes, I know it's 2021, but they call it Euro 2020. Final. England versus Italia at Wembley on Sunday. And then for most of you listeners of the SBI show, what really matters, the CONCACAF Gold Cup. I know, I know. I'm kidding. Well, not really, because look, if you're listening, chances are you're a U.S. men's national team fan, potentially a Mexican national team fan, and the Gold Cup is important. It matters. Bragging rights on the line. The regional championship and... I know, I know the U.S. men's national team doesn't have their full squad, doesn't have their 18, but it's still a tournament. There's still a trophy. Mexico brought their full strength team. So you know what that means? All the pressures on Mexico because if they lose. Some heads are going to roll. So I'm sitting here and I'm wondering, should I change my intro music or even rotate it? Because I have a few beats here. I have a be- I've used a few different beats. I'm trying to decide, should I keep this? Should I change it up? I almost did. I, I actually was going to start, but I was going to do a different beat to start, but I, ch- I changed my mind. So here we are. We'll stick with the same old for now. And you can let me know in the comment section on SBI. If I, should be, if I should be mixing up my beats. I know some of you probably missed the old, uh, the old school hip hop beats that I used to use the the familiar, you know, the notorious BIG mob deep, you name it. I used to use all those beats, but you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to use the, the, you know, I'm not trying to rip, uh rip, the, the sounds and the beats, that, that you know, I'm trying to use the royalty free stuff so, uh, you know, I don't get uh, stuff pulled off of different sites. I probably could use some of these other beats, but I have to look into that. I think I'm going to mix it up. But anyway, enough about beats as much as I wanted to, I kind of want to drop a freestyle here with this beat. Maybe one of these episodes. We have to talk Gold Cup, right? We're going to kick things off. We're, we're talking Gold Cup. So this is going to serve as your quasi Gold Cup preview, even though by the time you're listening to this, the Gold Cup will have probably begun because Saturday is officially when the Gold Cup begins. You're going to have the first matches. But we've already had in the last couple of days, actually just yesterday, I believe, some Gold Cup drama. Curacao is out of the Gold Cup uh, at COVID-19 outbreak has led uh, Curacao to have to withdraw and CONCACAF has... Turn to Guatemala to replace Curaçao. And, you know, if you're wondering how in the heck you get a team together that quickly, well, Guatemala was just this past week playing in the uh, in the Gold Cup playoff play in. So they had their team together fairly recently. And now they're going to have them, uh, you know, they have them get together and, and play on Sunday, I believe. I believe Sunday is their first game. And uh, and we'll see how they do on short notice. It's a little unfortunate. Curaçao, obviously, you know, a better team at the moment. So uh, that's a, you know, I'm sure if you're in group A, you're not complaining too much because look, at number one, Curacao is a tougher team than Guatemala. Number two, it's not like you don't know Guatemala. So the teams that are in group A, they're not going to complain too much. But uh, that was a little crazy little change up there right before the tournament. Uh, some other news, Alfonso Davies is out of the Gold Cup. The Canadian star slash Bayern Munich star uh, suffered an injury and will not, Play in the Gold Cup, and I know that's hugely disappointing for a Canada team. That you know, once you put him on it, when you look at some of the other pieces that they have on that team, I mean, they didn't have Jonathan David already. He's obviously preparing for the for the upcoming season with Lille, the defending league on champions. But with Davies in there, and and the and the cast of, of top. Attacking talent. I mean, Kyle Aaron, Lucas Cavallini. Then you, then you have some some impressive MLS players as well. Mark Anthony K, John Buchanan, Ayo Akinola, Not to run down the whole roster, but Canada, pretty good team. And then you put Davies on it, and they were, you know, they were talking about or thinking about a deep run. And now he's out, and uh, they're not going to have him. Unfortunate, disappointing. I think we all wanted to see Alfonso Davies kind of light it up and see how he could do. Um, for Canada, But now they're going to have to make do without them. Uh, I'm sure the US, U.S. men's national team fans aren't going to be too upset because that makes the road a little slightly easier for the U.S. in Group B. But we'll get to that uh, later. We'll, we'll break down the groups for you. Uh, obviously, the U.S. men's national team is, you know, what you want to talk about. We'll lead with that, even though it's Group B. But we'll start with U.S. Men's, men's national team. They play on Sunday and they kick things off against Haiti. And, you know, Haiti, Haiti is uh, coming off an impressive Gold Cup qualifying win against, I believe it was Bermuda. They they won pretty handily. They've got some good attacking players, uh, Duckens in the zone, Francie Perot, who I believe scored a hat trick. Former, I believe, Colorado Rapids draft pick, who pretty much said, "Yeah, no, I don't think I'm going to the Rapids," and then took off to Europe. Um, talented player, talented big striker. Uh, and then you have obviously Derek Etienne on the Haiti team. So they they've got some they've got some attacking threats, um, and they are going to be a good test for, for Greg Berhalter and his defense that he, that he puts out there. And as far as U.S. National Team goes, uh, obviously, we just had an episode a few days ago where we talked about the team and talked about the projected lineup. So we got into that. We dug into that, obviously. Uh, and so what has changed really in, the, in since then? Not much has changed. Uh, it is interesting that they had Gianluca Busio speak to the media uh, just on the thursday no actually i'm sorry on friday busio spoke to the media and it's uh, you know it's always interesting because generally speaking more often than not if someone speaks to the media leading up to a game they're they're gonna start but it's not always and to be clear it doesn't always happen in the case of busio you can understand look he's he's the local player the group stage the u.s group stage matches are in kansas city at sport, at children's mercy park sporting Casey's home so you can understand look there's obviously going to be a lot of a ton of local interest in Bucio. Get him out there. Get him talking. He's the story of the moment on this particular U.S. team, just because of the form that he's in—outstanding form. And I gotta say, he—he he just when you hear him talking, and, and I, I, you know, I've spoken to him, uh, you know, over the years when he was younger, and 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 you could just—not only has he has he polished his game on the field, but off the field, just in terms of his confidence, his his kind of ability to kind of express his thoughts and, and speak is like he's he's grown up so much I mean he is he's pretty polished and uh it, it was it, it was impressive to see how confident he is heading into this tournament and he made it clear that look it's it's as much as he's 19 as much as you know there's veterans on this team and as much as it's his first camp he's not at all treating this like a I'm happy to be here situation no Bucio's here to compete Bucio's here to win a starting job and he's looking ahead a little bit he's looking at, at that World Cup qualifying squad in September and he's picked that as a target and credit to him because look it's not going to be easy right you just you, when you're talking about all the top talent top European based talent getting on that Olympic qual- oh, sorry Olympic World Cup qualifying getting on that World Cup qualifying roster for September is not going to be easy for someone who is just now in his first camp. But he has set that bar. He has set that challenge, and you know what? If he lights it up in the Gold Cup, if he grabs a starting job and does well with it, he absolutely could go to World Cup qualifying. No reason he can't. Now, starting that's a whole other thing. But in terms of making it on the team, showing that you're you know you have that poise that you can you can play against CONCACAF competition, and that's the thing that needs to be pointed out about the Gold Cup, as much as you know. Some people might kind of frown on this Gold Cup and say, oh, you know, it's not it's not that great a test. But look, in terms of World Cup qualifying, obviously, the intensity of qualifying is different than the intensity of a Gold Cup being played on on American soil. But a lot of these teams, you know, 12 teams in this competition, 11 of them are CONCACAF teams. Only Qatar isn't. A lot of the better teams in this competition have brought full strength or close to full strength teams. Mexico, pretty close to full strength team. Uh, Costa Rica, a lot of the veterans that they they had at Nations League, a lot of the players that will feature in in World Cup qualifying. Honduras, same thing. Jamaica, same thing. When you look at those rosters, even Canada before, obviously without Davies and and uh, Johnny Dave, Jonathan David, that's their two arguably their two biggest stars, but still a lot of talent there. So this tournament has tests. To challenge the, the this U.S. team and has tests to challenge a player like Gianluca Busio, who, you know, as good as he's, as he's looked and is, as much improvement as he has shown in the past year, the international level, even at this, this point, even in the, and we're not even talking about World Cup and, the, you know, playing the, the, the powers like, the you know, Italy, England and those type of teams. But in terms of CONCACAF, this is a good step. This is a good level. And he's going to get his chance. He's going to, uh, you know, is he going to start day one? Possible. Is he going to start the whole tournament? I don't know about that. I think Berhalter is going to rotate the squad around. But as I said last episode, Bucio will have every opportunity to win the starting job in this tournament. And it's going to be a good test for him. And I want to see. I want to see how he does. Because when you hear him talk, he absolutely sounds like someone who's ready for that challenge. Now, we're not going to, you know, rehash the whole lineup. We did that, obviously, last episode. Uh, so, you know, in terms of the U.S., if you are kind of curious about, about what to expect, I, one thing I will touch on, I will kind of run down for you kind of the five players that, for me, I really want to see them get an opportunity. And I really, I really am interested to see what they can do on the international level. And, that, and, and that's not to say do I expect them to start throughout the tournament. I just want to see them get on the field, get a chance, show what they can do. And 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 the the five isn't necessarily players that I project to start, but players hopefully that will get an opportunity, get a game at some point. And I I said it last episode, Martinique. If they beat if the the US beats Haiti, that Martinique game suddenly becomes a perfect opportunity to play some of these fresh faces, some of these newer inexperienced players. And so the five players for me that I want to see at the Gold Cup. Obviously, number one, Bucio. I think most people would agree. Buccio, you want to see what he can do. Number two, Daryl Dike, obviously. I don't know if he's going to start. I'm personally not projecting him to start, but as I said, he can win the job. He will get his chance. Absolutely will get his chances, and then we'll see what he can do with it. But he is number two. And those are the, those are pretty simple, too. I think most people they'll be at the top of most people's list. But in terms of other players, James Sands. The NYCFC center back slash defensive midfielder. I'm, I've been eyeing him for a long time. And obviously the injuries that he's had, the injury setbacks have obviously, you know, kind of kept him from really, really kind of taking off and, and, and getting into this mix sooner. And I think it What I mean, there's definitely been moments in his, in his kind of, in his trajectory and in his career where I was like, look, why isn't this kid, why isn't this kid on the u twenty? Team, why isn't this kid in in Olympic qualifying conversations? And so there were points through that whole process where you are kind of like he's good enough, but obviously the injuries has held him have held him back. We know Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman are your center backs for the Gold Cup in terms of the starters, the first choice too. But James Sands, with his technical quality, his experience playing in a three back in a three center back system, and his versatility, I think you you know I want to see him play. And I want to see him in the U.S. setup and see how he looks because I think he could end up being a really good fit for the way Greg Berhalter likes to play. So that's why he's on the list. He's number three. Uh, number four, George Bello. I want to see George Bellow. I want to see him in this system. I want to see him really show what he can do at left back because we know left back has always been a bit of a, a sore spot, a, a tough place to find natural left-footed options that that are good defensively and also good in the attack. And you know, he's young, he's obviously a teenager, but he this year he's been, you know, obviously become a more regular starter with Atlanta and has shown his quality. Heading into the tournament Sam Vines is more than likely your starting left back, but Bella will have his chance and I want to see it. I want to see how he looks, see what he can do at left back and if he can throw himself into that conversation and as much as he's young, has made it clear, He, you know what, young does not matter if you're good enough. If you're good enough, you'll get included on rosters and you'll get put on the field. Um, and I know it's a little easier to do for attacking players than it is for defenders, but left back, it's not, you know, you don't have a, a dozen top end uh, in their prime 23, 25 year old left backs, you just don't. So, you know, as much as Sam Vines will get that that first opportunity, I think, I, I want to see George Bellow. I want to see what he can do. Uh, number five for me, I will say Eric Williamson, even though I, I think it's tough. You know, I think it's a crowded midfield in terms of he's kind of the last name on the list. When you look at the veterans, Sebastian lejet obviously, you know, with the, he's a full group. He's a first team group player for the U.S. Christian Roldan, top MLS player, has the experience with the national team, is going to get chances in this Gold Cup. And then you have Busio, kind of the golden child, who's come in. Everyone wants to look at him. And then you have Williamson. Where where, where is he going to get that opportunity? So that that's where, for me, I think the, the fact that he's versatile and he could potentially play as a defensive midfielder helps him. I hope he gets a game. I hope Williamson gets a start. Um, I thought it was interesting that Berhalter pointed to some questions about his fitness in January, and maybe that's why he didn't get an opportunity eventually in the Olympic qualifying. I don't know if I buy that. I mean, look, obviously they know they test, they know where the fitness levels are. They weren't happy with them, but do I think that should have kept them off? Obviously, we're talking a little 2020 hindsight here, but I've, from, for I don't know how long I've been, I've been high on Eric Williamson. And I think everyone saw in the MLS's back tournament last year when he helped Portland win the title, the MLS's back tournament title. He can play, he can play at a very high level and he's so good on the ball. He can keep the ball. And I know there's been this search for players who can really maintain possession under pressure. And not to say the name, but look, Darlington Nagby, obviously, you're looking for people who can do what he can do. And what, unfortunately, he chose not to do with the U.S. anymore. But if you can find guys like that who can keep the ball and who you just can't take it off of them. And I know, look, Eunice Musa, someone is an example, as a prospect, who has shown he's good on the ball. He's strong. He doesn't let it, you know, you can't get it off of him, but Eric Williamson, could he be someone who has those, that kind of quality? So we'll see if he gets that opportunity. I don't know if he will necessarily. So that's the five. I kind of want to see. And I know some people say, wait a minute. What about Matthew Hoppy?" Fair point. Fair point. I do want to see, Hoppe. I, I, obviously I want to see happy. Uh, I just, you know, as a winger, I, I don't know if I'm that soul. If that's what, if that's Berhalter's plan is to look at him as a, as a winger, I don't know if if that's going to necessarily showcase him. Giacchini, Nicholas Giacchini, I think, will have a better chance to show more because he has experience playing as a winger. He has a bit more, I think he might have a bit more ability one-on-one to go at people. But we'll see. We'll see what Hoppy Hoppy can do. And I know there's been a lot of kind of consternation and a lot of complaining about the fact that Berhalter is coming into this Gold Cup planning to play Hoppy at on the wing and Giacchini on the wing, and it's kind of like, why are you playing these guys on the wing? They should be playing striker. They're strikers. Play play. Why can't you play two strikers together? And you know, even on SBI, there's been some some conversations, some some exchange there between some some readers on SBI, and I chimed in on that, and I kind of want to share some thoughts on that because I know that's a that's kind of become a, a prevailing topic right now, and the fact that there are so many intriguing striker options right now. When you talk about, I mean, there's more than a half dozen interesting striker options when obviously you have Josh Sargent at the top of the list. You have Jordan P. Fuck, You have, um, you know, veterans like Zardis, You have Altidore, Josie Altidore, who's still in the conversation, even though he needs to sort out his situation in Toronto, but he's still in the conversation. Uh, You have Haji Wright. You have Darryl DK, You have, you know, Sebastian Soto, who's now going on loan to Porto. You have a lot of strikers. A lot of striker options, a lot of striker prospects. And while you still need one or two of them to really, really establish themselves as the guy. People are looking at that list and saying, wait a minute, if you have this many of them. Then why not play more of them? Why not play more than one striker? Why not play two strikers? And and that's such a simplistic way to look at it. But for for any number of reasons, it's not that simple. Number one, uh, and, and I pointed this out. On SBI is ask yourself this: as much as someone, as much as you can say, "Oh, look, there's a lot of striker options." You should be, you should be playing more strikers. The first thing ask yourself is: who are the best attacking players on the U.S. team? Who are the best attacking players in the full U.S. first team setup? Giorena, Christian Pulisic, without question, that's your top two, your top two attacking weapons: Christian Pulisic, Giorena. Right. So you're playing them wide. As much as yes, in theory you can play them centrally. You could play Reina in a central role. But generally speaking, you're playing them wide. Put them out there where they can go at people, uh they, they can disrupt defenses, they can provide service, they can be people on a dribble. That's wh- and that's where they've been playing. Pulisic on the left wing, Gire on the wh- on the right wing. That that so that's what matters. What matters is, is putting them in in the in positions where they can impact the game. And in the 4-3-3, you really put both of them in great position. And if you're playing and again, this is not to say Burhalter is playing a four three three because of Polisic and Reina, but he obviously prefers the four three three. But right now with those two, why would you even consider changing when you have those two? You have those two in prime positions to create and prime positions to attack and go at people and, and we've seen it already. We've seen what they can do. The question is you still need a striker to emerge as the guy. And right now that hasn't happened. Josh Sargent hasn't done it. Uh, Jordan Sibichu slash P-Fuck. Again, he showed some glimpses and and I know he suffered an injury. We still don't even know what's going on with that, what the status is for that. But he's, you know, he's someone promising, but he's not there yet. Daryl Dike is promising, not there yet. Jose Altador, his club situation has him in limbo but when he's in form he's an option but he's not the guy can't like you can't take the job from him he's not there's no unquestioned number 1 can't be budged starting striker right so that first things first you need to sort that out before you go complaining about why can't you get two of them on the field figure out who the one is and right now that hasn't happened yet right now that's still being worked out so that's why a long-winded way of saying this is why the whole the whole question about two strikers and you get, you, why can't you play two strikers? What's the why even have that argument right now or even have that question now? It's just a very simplistic way to look at what some people see as a problem having so many striker options. It's good to have striker options because you but you still need one of them to step up and emerge and be the guy that you can't be that you can't do without that you have to pencil in the lineup every single game. That person has not. Emerged yet, the chosen one has not emerged. That striker yet, and that needs to happen before. It be, and then, if you get that, and if you get a couple who just emerged, if like hypothetically speaking, let's just say, let's just say, for argument's sake, and I'll pick two names. Not saying these are the two, but let's just say, Josh Sargent starts scoring goals galore in Bundesliga, and let's say Matthew Hoppy starts scoring goals galore for Schalke in the two Bundesliga. Or he transfers somewhere in the first division and is scoring goals. You get two guys scoring goals in bunches in Europe, in, in good leagues in Europe. And then you got to get them on the field together. Then, yes, at that point, you can start to really have the, the arguments and discussions about why can't you get two strikers on the field? But we're not, we're not there yet. We're not even close to being there yet. And last point I'll make about the whole two striker thing is. You also have to consider how many of these guys could even play or would even be comfortable in or fit in a two striker system. Because when you play two strikers, things can get a little crowded. And there's a reason you don't you're seeing you see less and less of that. I mean, how many top teams play two strikers? There, There's a benefit to playing with the target striker and the wingers off of the striker, the 4-3-3. You see it every like every top level i mean look at the countries that are playing right now look at all four of the national teams right now that are going to play in Copa America final and the euro and the euro final none of them play two strikers let's talk about the top teams in europe how many of them play two strikers actually 4-3-3 has pretty much become the preferred system and it has a variety of benefits and, you know, I, you know, part of me is like, why even waste the, the, this 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 time kind of trying to explain this or ex- spend this time to make people understand why you shouldn't even be having the conversation about the two striker thing. But I think it's interesting. It's worth discussing because it is interesting that there are so many striker options and how do you get them on the field? And actually, that's why for me, I don't have that much of a problem with Burhalter looking at Hoppy out wide and Giacchini out wide. Because at the end of the day, if you aren't planning to play with two strikers and you are going to pretty much stick with with four, three, three and one target striker, you're going to eventually have to figure out a way to use some of these this surplus of strikers. You're going to try to find if if any of them or, or find out which of them can play out in a wide role. And you know what? Maybe some of them will actually be able to do that because you don't have to be uh, a prototypical winger to play out wide as a wide forward in the 4-3-3. You don't. You don't have to be, you know, Raheem Sterling. You don't have to be this pacey, uh, you know, quick dribble guy. There's different types of targets of wide forwards that you can play in the 4-3-3. So I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with looking at some of these other options to see what you can do. And newsflash, even if you play two two forwards, right? Let's say you play two forwards. There's no guarantee that that Berhalter would play two strikers, two big strikers together. There's no guarantee you would see a sergeant and DK together, or a sergeant and Altidore together. You could just as well see a sergeant with Arena underneath, you know, or as a, you know someone like a, I mentioned his name because stylistically he fits the bill, Jesus Ferreira, and I don't mean him specifically, but someone like him. So uh, it's just an interesting, uh, sorry for the tangent, uh, hopefully some, some of you enj- enjoyed this kind of little dive into the whole question about strikers, but it is an interesting situation. And I do want to say there's, there's a fair number of, of, of winger options on the full strength team. When you talk about Reina, Pulisic, Tim Weah, now Brendan Aronson, there's some good, there's some good wide options. But that doesn't mean you can't look at some of these other guys. Maybe Giacchini can 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 pan out and be an effective wide option. And maybe Hoppy. Maybe Hoppy. Get, I, I'm not, I wouldn't bet on Hoppy, but he's going to get the chance and we'll get to see what he can do. So, uh, you know, we've gone on a whole striker tangent. My apologies for it. And I think this all started with whether or not I'm looking forward to seeing or hoping to see Hoppy. I am hoping to see Hoppy. So I think most people are because, you you know, we haven't seen much of him. So unless you spend time watching two Bundesliga I don't know how much you're going to see Hoppy this year, unless he makes a move and there's already the rumors about all, you know, him going to the, to the premier league, there's premier league teams looking at Hoppy. Although I don't know how he qualifies for a work permit at the moment. So take that, take that stuff with a grain of salt. You know how the trans, you know how the transfer rumor market works, the rumor mill works. So, you know, take that, you know, make of that what you will. Getting back on course here, uh, to the, the, we're supposed to be doing a gold cup preview and, uh, we're almost twenty. We're almost thirty minutes into this episode, so apologies for the for the whole USMNT striker rant. I wanted to get into a little bit, but let's look at the groups. Gold Cup Group A, and I'm gonna pick the I'm gonna pick the order for you. Number one, Mexico. Not even a question. Number two, I'm gonna go El Salvador, and Hugo Perez is doing a pretty good job with El Salvador, and El Salvador is a team. I think if you're US. Men's National Team fan, you should pay attention to El Salvador because Hugo Hugo Perez, is uh, he's doing a good job with that group. He's bringing in some some players to play for El Salvador that you will know and have seen, uh, like Alex Roldan, who's now part of that team. Obviously, Josh Perez is on the team, his nephew. And Eric Zavaleta, the TFC defender, American, but he qualifies for El Salvador, and he's playing for El Salvador, already making things happen for them. Uh, And uh, last but certainly not least, El Salvador is the first opponent for the U.S. men's national team in World Cup qualifying in September. The U.S. has to go to El Salvador to kick things off in World Cup qualifying. So they're a team you want to pay attention to because that could be that could absolutely be a tricky one for the U.S., so, they're, they, you know, are, do, are they going to beat a full-strength Mexico team in the group stage of the Gold Cup? I don't know about that. But I think they're going to be a team worth watching. And in that group with Trinidad and Guatemala, I like El Salvador to get out of that group. Absolutely. So, let's see what they do. Maybe they'll give Mexico a little trouble. I don't know. It's going to be tough. Look at this Mexico team, by the way. Tecatito. Irving Lozano, obviously. Edson Alvarez. Hector Herrera. Jonathan Dos Santos. Carlos Salcedo. You You know... They got the squad. And then they bring in Argentinian Rogelio Funes Mori, the Monterey striker, bring him in ahead of Chicharito. Chicharito still, you know, still on the blacklist. And it was interesting to read the athletic, uh, my man Felipe Cardenas, who's outstanding, outstanding writer. He had a piece where he kind of laid out why, at least why he's reporting why Tata Martino has kind of, frozen out Chicharito. And according to Felipe Cardenas at the Athletic, it's because apparently at, at a camp they had a back in 2019, Chicharito allegedly flew in some ladies to come stay at the whole team hotel. And this was all his doing and then, you know, apparently not only did he do this, but then when it was found out he didn't he he wouldn't cop to it. Or he didn't see the problem. And whatever it was, he's clearly rubbed Tata Martino the wrong way. And now Tata's like, okay, I don't need you. I don't care about your record for all-time leading goal scorer for Mexico. I'm going to go find somebody else to play striker. I don't care who I got to find. I don't care if it's Henry Martin, uh, as bad as he looked for for the uh, for Mexico, uh, you know, Alan Polito, I'll go get Rogelio Funes Mori to play striker. Anyone but you, Chicharito, stay home, keep scoring goals for, goals for the Galaxy. I don't want to hear it. And here we are. Chicharito is crushing it nonetheless. and he's not getting a sniff. He's not getting a sniff from Mexico, and, and that's an interesting... There's always those kind of behind-the-scenes stories. And I've heard those kind of stories, too. I mean, I've actually heard that, that same exact kind of story involving uh, unnamed uh, player, U.S. players. And this not any time recently. We're, we're going back in a day now. We're going years ago. I'm not going to name any names. But, yeah, so th- this is not an unheard of situation. Although in Mexico, we've had Mexico... In a similar situation, I believe it was down in it was down in South America. I think there was a U twenty three team that had apparently you know invited some ladies to the hotel. So I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Mexico. They gotta get, get their act together a little bit. But uh unfortunate that Chicharito's not there. But Mexico, man, they're still the favorites with all those names that I mentioned. Tecatito, Lozano, Edson Alvarez, Funes Mori, Salcedo. Jesus Gallardo, their squad, they got the squad. They're pretty much the only off the top, trying to think who they're missing. Obviously, uh, Memo Ochoa is with the Olympic team. He's one of the overage players. Andres Guadalco is not there. Uh, Diego Lainez is not there. Um, But still, I mean, they have most of their A team. And that's why the pressure's on Mexico. And no, this isn't a cop-out. No, this isn't making an excuse for the United States. giving them the out if they don't win the tournament. It's just the facts. This Mexico team is the favorite, as they should be. This team is too strong not to be the favorite. So if they don't win, it's on Tata. And he's got to know that. I don't think he cares. I don't think Tata is, you know, shaking in his boots. Tata is a highly confident guy. Like, supremely, excessively, annoyingly confident guy. So he, he's not worrying at all. He's confident he's going to get this team to win another Gold Cup. And they should. But if they don't, Tata's got some, some questions to answer. And I, I, you know what? I, I don't know. I'm not going to be there uh, in Vegas uh, for the final if they're there and if they don't win. But I would love to be in Vegas for the final if they lose in the final. Or if they don't get to the final. There's going to be a lot of questions to answer, but they should. So, that team is too strong. Moving on, Group B, USMNT. Actually, yeah, we started with USMNT, and then I veered off, clearly not following my script here, but Group B, the US, the US is the favorite, even with this being a quote-unquote B team, an MLS heavy team, missing all the European stars, this, UMA, this US men's national team is the favorite, even more so now that Alfonso Davies is, uh, is not going to play for Canada. So U.S. is the favorite, but Canada is number two. Can't even without Alphonso Davies, you still have Kyle Barron and Lucas Cavallini as your forwards. You still have T.J. Buchanan. You still have Ayoka by the way, who's now chosen to play for uh, play for Canada. Former U.S. under twenty under seventeen World Cup player is playing for Canada. We've gone in. We've gone over that. Mark Anthony K. Richie Larea, Alistair Johnston. Very good fullback from Nashville, who's who's really kind of broken in there with with Canada. So this Canada team is they're going to be fun to watch. They should get out of the group, and it's just funny. Canada and Haiti just played each other in the World Cup qualifier, and now here they are again in the group stage, fighting for probably fighting for a knockout round spot. And no offense to Martinique, but Martinique is the fourth team in this group. They're the weakest team in this group. And they're the team that I think we're going to see Gianluca Luca Busio and and Matthew Hoppe and, you know, potentially Eric Williamson and James Sands. I think we're going to see those guys against Martinique. But they're the fourth place team in this group. Group C. Jamaica. For me, the pick of the group. Costa Rica second. But look, Costa Rica, they're just not they're not what they were. They just haven't added enough new blood. They also don't have Kaylor Navas. Was, you know who knows if he'll ever play for Costa Rica again but I think that's one and two they're the top two I think there's a gap between Jamaica and Costa Rica and then Guadalupe and Suriname I'll go Guadalupe third but I think it's pretty safe Jamaica and Costa Rica will make it to the to the quarterfinals and it should should be noted again unlike Pascal cups this is uh, with you have four groups as opposed to three which is it, it's for I don't know for how long it' had been three groups but this time around four groups only the first and second place teams are making it into the knockout rounds, whereas in the past, third place teams made it, and you, had, you only had three groups, and you had to do all that, all that tricky math, but no. Top two make it, top, the bottom two go home. Jamaica and Costa Rica should, make, should comfortably advance out of Group C. Guadalupe, Suriname, third and fourth. And then Group D, you have Qatar, the guest nation. A tricky opponent, by the way. They're not a pushover. They're 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 a pretty good team. They're obviously in the World Cup. They're hosting the World Cup. And I had someone ask me on uh, on SBI on the on SBI why is Qatar in this tournament? There's like a hundred CONCACAF teams. Why do you need a guest team? Fair question, but there's reasons. I mean, obviously, you know, when you politically speaking, I'm sure CONCACAF and the qatar federation have worked it out they you know they 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 came to this agreement but there are benefits to it number 1 the top teams the teams that are more than likely going to make it to the world cup from concacaf will potentially have the opportunity to play a team that they'll see at the world cup and there's value in that and qatar is actually a you know pretty good team when you talk about how they stack up to other concacaf teams Having them in as the 12th team in the, in the tournament, they, there's no way they're not better than the 12th best team in CONCACAF. They're just, they just are. You could argue they're probably better than all, but maybe the top four or five teams in CONCACAF. Qatar's a pretty good team, relatively speaking. So having them in, it helps increase the quality of Gold Cup. And I know you'll say, well, wait a minute. What if they win the Gold Cup? That's kind of would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Uh, sure. There's that risk in theory. We've seen it in the past. This isn't a new thing for maybe people who are kind of new to following the you know, US Men's National Team or following CONCAC, following the Gold Cup, there's been guest countries before forever. Uh, I, You know, I remember my first Gold Cup was I covered was in 2000, and I've covered every Gold Cup since 2000, and I've been to every final since 2005. Two streaks which sadly at this point are going to come to an end because I don't think I have a credential for the Gold Cup. I thought I applied... I don't know what happened. My application didn't go through. I wasn't planning to go to Kansas City for the U.S. games. And some people might say, well, why wouldn't you go? Well, part of it's because as media, media, there's no access between media and the the teams. We're pretty much resigned to Zoom calls. And there's no reason to travel all the way to Kansas City if all we're going to do is Zoom calls. So that's kind of why I still wanted to go to the final, though. And I had I had plan to go to the final, which is in Vegas, by the way. And yes, obviously that helps. But no, I've been to every final since 05. And if it's U.S.-Mexico in the final, I, you know, how do you miss that? I mean, I've only missed one U.S.-Mexico match since 99. so I, Or since, actually, sorry, since 2002. I've been to like 24 of the last 25. So I usually am at U.S.-Mexico games. So I kind of wanted to be at the final, but not going to be there. But in the past, we've seen guest countries make runs. I believe Brazil lost in the final to Mexico one year. You had Colombia make a deep run. Uh, Colombia beat the U.S. I, I remember in 2000, the 2000 Gold Cup, my first Gold Cup. Colombia beat the U.S., knocked the, knocked the U.S. out. You've had South Korea in a, in a Gold Cup. You've had Japan, I believe, in a Gold Cup. So this is not new. And there is a benefit to it. So we'll see. But I like Qatar to win Group D, actually. No offense to Honduras, Panama, Gren- and Grenada. I'm picking Qatar to win that group, just because I don't know the Honduras. Like Honduras, for me, is the best of the CONCACAF teams in that group. But I don't know Honduras as much as look Albert Elise. They got a healthy Romel Kyoto, who obviously was injured for the Nations League, didn't play. You have Jerry Bankston, who was left off of the Nations League roster, and everyone was kind of like, what the heck? The guy just won the Golden Boot, and Honduras won a won the league title in Honduras. How do you not have him on the Nations League team? Who knows what that was about? But he is there for the Gold Cup, and. So Honduras absolutely could win the group. They're the best bet of the CONCACAF teams, but I'm going to pick Qatar to make it out with Honduras. Panama is a shell of what of what they were. Sorry to say it, but the golden generation in Panama came and went, and they just didn't restock the shelves. They just didn't. And you look at that roster, the Panama roster, it's a weak team. It's a weak opponent. Uh, they should still finish ahead of Grenada, but... Panama getting out of that group, I just don't see it. I don't see them making it to the knockout rounds. They just don't have enough for me to get past Qatar and Honduras. So so that's pretty much the, that's the field. Mexico's the favorite by a pretty wide margin. And then the U.S. has a chance. The, yeah, could the U.S. beat Mexico? Sure. Could they beat them in a final? They could, but they'd be the underdogs. They'd absolutely be the underdogs. And a much bigger underdog than the U.S. team was that won the Nations League because that was a much closer as much as look, I, I picked Mexico to beat the U.S. and Nations League, but I thought it was a pretty tight contest. And as I said, in the lead up to Nations League, I thought the U.S. team, the full strength U.S. team was still like, you know, sometime four to six months away from coming together. Those young guys getting a bit more seasoning and then they were going to overtake Mexico and then they turned around, they beat Mexico in the Nations League. So you never know. This is a little different. Because this is a close to full strength Mexico team against an inexperienced U.S. team, so but we'll see. We'll see what Greg Halter can do Uh, if he can get this team to come together. We can see if we can see some of these young guys like DK and Busio and Hoppy and uh, you know Miles Robinson. See some of these guys really flourish and really ride a confident wave into a final. Anything is possible. I'm still picking Mexico though. We'll see. We'll see cuz I tell you what, if the US wins this Gold Cup, I think at that point Mexican fans have to shut up about Mexico being the kings of CONCACAF. And, and I know you'll say, "Ah, it's not the it doesn't mean that much." But if you lose the Nations League and the Gold Cup, I don't think you can keep bragging at that point. I'm sorry. I don't think you can keep bragging. Now, you know, maybe if Mexico goes and wins a medal at the Olympics maybe, you know, that'll help restore some 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 of the bragging rights or some of the Standing in CONCACAF, but Mexico, you have to win this Gold Cup. No excuses. You have to win it. We'll see if it happens. It would be something if the U.S. pulled pulled off the upset, though. Moving on from the Gold Cup, and we do have a little U.S. Men's National Team-related news. David Ochoa, the Real Salt Lake goalkeeper, the U.S. Men's National Team Nations League goalkeeper, slash U.S. Under-20 World Cup goalkeeper, is training with Mexico. And I know people are freaking out about it. I know I've already seen some of the responses, some of the some of the hate, some of the anger, some of the frustration, some of the predictable uh see this is this is all the US soccer's fault and all this and that. Look, when it comes down to it, show is a young player who's eligible for more than one country. And he's he's going he's training with Mexico. He's seeing what what it's about. And I—I'll be honest with you. And this isn't the first time we've seen this, right? This isn't the first time we've seen an American player, uh, a U.S. national team youth player, go train with another country. We've seen it. But Ochoa surprised me, and I'll tell you why. Because I've—I've I've had conversations with David Ochoa about Mexico and about the U.S. national team and about the rivalry. And I, you know, I should—I like—I should play some right now. I, like, I, if I had it—if I had it handy. I'd play some of this audio for you from my past interviews with David Ochoa talking about Mexico. And you would find it interesting that he is now training with Mexico. So, I'm not judging the kid. I think he's a great kid by the way. I've uh, you know, I've had a chance uh, multiple chances to sit down and talk with him and he's a good kid and he's just he's weighing his options, he's trying things out. I thought it was a little silly for some people to say oh see this is why why would you bring Brad Guzan you should have brought David Ochoa Greg Berhalter made it clear why he didn't bring David Ochoa to the Gold Cup he he left him with Real Salt Lake cuz he wants him to get games and him missing potentially however many games he would be able to play without Real Salt Lake means more than him sitting as a third goalkeeper again for another tournament he was the goalkeeper for, uh, he was the third goalkeeper for the Nations League why would you do that why would you cost him that many games just so he can sit on the bench in the Gold Cup? So I don't think that's why. And, and Ochoa is the one who knows the answer to this. But I don't think him not making the Gold Cup is why he went to train in Mexico or like, you know, that got him angry and oh, I'm screw that, I'm going to go play for Mexico now. No, he's trying it out, seeing what it's like, weighing his options. He's allowed to do that. There's no, there's no law against it. There's no, you know, FIFA mandate that prevents you from training with another national team. None. He's not cap tied to the U S he's, you know, he's played in youth competitions. He didn't play in a nation's league match. So he's not cap tied. So, you know, I, is it uneasy? Is it an uneasy? Like I saw a picture. He, he put a Ochoa put a picture on Instagram from Mexico training. And it was one of those, like, you know, this is the team that won the game in training pictures. And it was Ochoa, And you know, the, cast of characters from El Tri like the people you know I think Hector Herrera might have been one of them and Efrain Alvarez was another one another player who was eligible for the US but who is now playing for Mexico and it was a little uneasy I'll, t- I'll be I'll readily admit it was a little like wow I mean Ochoa if I, if I recall correctly Ochoa started in goal against Mexico in the under 20 CONCACAF championship and he considered that kind of one of the highlights of his young career is beating Mexico In a final. So, you know what? Only he knows how that whole situation has worked out, and only he will know what it feels like to be playing for Mexico or be in a camp with Mexico. And it reminds me of a conversation that I had with Ulysses Yanez. And there's some, we got some news on Yanez later in the episode, but Yanez is another player who tried spending time with both sides uh, the Mexican program, the US program. And he told me himself, like, I didn't feel comfortable there in the Mexican setup. Like he felt like an outsider. And, but he, he wouldn't know that until, unless he went and tried it out. He, he, he weighed the option. He gave it a go. And who knows what, what leads to it? Who knows what forces are, are driving you to that? Who knows if it's just something he needs to put, put aside because you know what you get all you know whether it's agents whether it's family whether it's teammates whoever you can get people that'll tell you hey try it out if it doesn't work out then no harm no foul so that's what he's doing at least he'll know and we'll see if, if he ends up playing for mexico then hey you know what that's 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 how it works but you can't prevent these players you still as i've said many times and as i said a few episodes ago the whole idea of Trying to trap players is a joke. For me, it's a joke. The player should want to play for your country and be comfortable in that decision, and they shouldn't be trapped into these decisions because, like you, you know, when you sell them a bill of goods or you or you wine and dine them and tell them all these things that they want to hear, only to then just throw them on a scrap heap after you have them captived and have them regret their decision. No. You want them to weigh all their options and know, listen, I, I, I want to play for the U.S. I'm American. I feel Amer- more American. I feel more of an attachment. When I was in the U.S. camp, I felt at home as opposed to when I was in the Mexico camp where I did not feel at home. They were nice to me. It was great. Tata Martino is great, but that didn't feel like home. And that's what you want to show to realize. And if he doesn't realize that, and if Joa goes to the Mexican camp, and, and if, if he's in Mexico camp, and he feels like, you know what, this feels better. This feels like home. These players feel more like, I feel like more of a connection with this Mexican team, then more power to you. Then there you go. That's where you're meant to be. And as, as, and as disappointing as it would be and as sad as it would be for, for people who followed his career and, and followed his trajectory in the U.S. youth setup, it's his decision. It's his life. And he's the one that has to live with that. And he should go somewhere he's going to feel right in. He, it has to feel like the right situation. And the only way to know is if you try them both out. Does that mean every single player should do that? Nah, I don't know about that, but every player should have the right to do that. Without being judged, without being uh, you know ostracized, and I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think Echoa is going to suddenly be persona non grata in the U.S. men's setup because he went and tried out Mexico. If anything, it's be- let's let's look at it this way, right? Let's say Echoa goes, you know, he continues at the Mexico camp, finishes out the Mexican camp, and then at the end of the day, says, "You know what? I tried it, didn't like it. I'm American. I'm a U.S. national team player." I mean come on that's a you know that's a victory in itself that's like that's a that's a feather in the cap That's what people will disagree but that for me that would be a feather in the cap because that shows look you know what the US programs they're confident enough to let their players go see what's up and if they come back they come back the old you know you have to let them you know set them free if they come back then they were they were really yours all along so we'll see we'll see what a show does i hope he plays for the US i do he's a you know, he's obviously come through the ranks. He's come through the program. And he obviously he had a very, very close relationship with someone who I knew very well. And Dez McAleenan. And Dez spoke very highly of David Ochoa. And, you know, I really hope I really hope Ochoa has a great career. And I hope part of that career is playing with the U.S. national team. But we will see what happens. There's a long way to go. I don't think Achoa is getting cap-tied anytime soon by Mexico. But clearly, it is interesting that Mexico is... is and this is not a surprise, but Mexico is, is not going to be shy about going after players who are dual nationals. Whether it's Ochoa, whether it's Julian Araujo, they're going to go after these players. And why shouldn't they? they they're, they're eligible. To, if these players are, play, are eligible to play for Mexico, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you do, do your due diligence and try to, you know, build relationships? See if you can bring them in. I mean, Tata Martino is playing a, an Argentinian striker, right? So he's definitely not going to have an issue trying to recruit Mexican-Americans. And nor should he. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's it's an interesting, interesting situation. Last thing I'll say on the whole thing is this there's a lot of competition at every position in the US player pool. And part of me is starting to wonder how many of these situations are gonna be driven now by that and by the the concern about, you know what, maybe am I gonna actually can I win the battle for playing time with this US team as it improves? Because I don't care what you say, and I, you know, I'm sure some Mexican fans are listening to this that are fully like, "Oh, Mexico's the kings of concave," blah, blah. That's all well and good. You can say that. That could be your the reality that you live in right now. But the reality is, U.S. the U.S. men's program has a ton of talent coming in the pipeline, and in the next couple of years, the U.S. is going to overtake Mexico. Like, not it's not even going to be close. I'm sorry, but when you look at the player. The talent in the pipeline, and if you look in, in the 18 to 23 range, and I know you'll say, wait a minute, but Mexico, won't, is that the Olympics? The U.S. is not. All of the top U.S. talent was not in Olympic qualifying. Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Yunus Musa, Serginho Dest, you name them, Josh Sargent, like Weston McKinney, all of these Olympic eligible players, none of them were in Olympic qualifying. So let's nip that one in the butt. But back to the point, there is a ton of talent coming in the pipeline. And maybe some players will look at that and embrace that challenge. But maybe some players will look at that and say, hmm, you know, this other team I'm eligible for, there's a few less players coming up the pipeline that I got to worry about. Maybe I'll go that way. Sure. Maybe we'll see that in some cases. And Greg Berlter kind of alluded to that with Julian Oraujo. Tons of right backs coming in the pipeline. Yeah. Obviously you have Serginho Des, but then you have Brian Reynolds. You have Aaron Herrera, Kyle Duncan. So maybe Araujo is looking at that and saying, you know, the Mexican right back situation, you know, might be a little easier for me. I don't know if that's what drove it has Araujo reconsidering. I don't know that. But Beralta kind of alluded to that, which was a little surprising. But maybe that's going to be something that factors into for some of these players. And you know what? That just that's going to be that's that's what's going to come down to in some cases, in some cases. And that's a good problem that you have so much talent coming up that some players are like, you know what, I'm going to take my chances over here because there's less talent to worry about. It's a, it's a good problem to have, to have, to have that much talent coming up the pipeline. And it is coming up the pipeline as much as some people might, you know, be like, Oh yeah. You know, they're still, uh, they're, all these guys are inexperienced, they are improving. Fine. Say what you want. But the fact is, the fact is more and more top young American players are playing regularly. Developing more quickly, developing at much earlier ages, and that's why you have so much more talent right now in this 18, 17 to 23 range. You take the 17 to 23 age group players right now, it's not even close. The amount of talent in that group, there's never been anywhere close to that much talent in the U.S. pipeline before. So that's a good problem to have. Moving on, Americans Abroad, uh, we've obviously, we just had an episode two days ago, so we touched on a lot of the same stuff. Not, there hasn't been much change in recent days, but the Ulysses-Yanez loan uh, to Austrian side St. Poulton has been finalized, and that's great to hear. Uh, a good opportunity for Yanez, a talented player who needs to get playing time. He's, he's kind of stagnated for a couple of years now, and it, it, it'll be great, hopefully, for him if he can find some stability and get some consistent playing time to build up the confidence, to build up... The reputation and get him back going on the right trajectory because there's way he has just way too much talent not to, to you know, not to, to just be languishing on a bench somewhere in Europe. So that's great to see U.S. women's national team news. The U.S. women are in Japan already uh, preparing for the Olympics. And as of right now, the Olympics are still a go. Uh, there will be no fans at games. Uh, obviously, there's a big covid issue in Japan uh, outbreak and. They're not now or they're not going to have fans there, but the tournament is still a go. And the the biggest news is now it's become official that teams are now allowed to have 22 players. So basically the teams, you know, teams initially were only allowed 18 players on their roster and four alternates that could come in in case of an injury. Now all 22 players are eligible, which is huge for the U.S. It's a bit of a cheat code for the U.S. I said it last episode, no team in the world, no team in the Olympics had the type of alternates that the U.S. has. When you talk about Katari- Katarina Macario, Lynn Williams, Casey Kruger, Jane Campbell, all four would start for most of the teams in the tournament, and now their depth. Now Vlad Gronoski can bring them in, he can rotate, uh, and now we could still see Macario and Williams both have a part to play in this tournament. And look, it's still the, the battle for minutes on that U.S. team is crazy. When you look at the amount of attacking talent, Tobin Heath is back. She's crushing it. He, like in, in the send off series, Tobin Heath made it clear. She's back. She's going to be on the field. She's going to be crushing it at the Olympics. So it's not, it's not going to be easy for Macario and Williams, but at least they'll have that opportunity. At least they'll be in the mix. And at least Andonofsky will have that option to play them. If he needs to, so we'll see. We'll see what happens with the women. They're still the favorites. I'll say it on over, over and over. U.S. women should win the gold pretty comfortably, but it's still going to be fun to watch it happen and hopefully watch them really kind of crush it at the Olympics and add a gold medal to the World Cup they just won, the back-to-back World Cups that they won. Moving on to MLS news, and the obviously MLS had the big midweek run of games, uh, we didn't get into last week, I haven't gotten into MLS results much lately just because there's so many games and then you're kind of like, how do you pick the games? I've said it before, I'll say it again, I am I am looking to start an MLS podcast uh, in the coming weeks and obviously right now the MLS uh, the MLS break is here, uh, the international break, so MLS is off this weekend, interestingly enough, so it's a good time to kind of get things in order and let me know what you think about an MLS only podcast um I'm sure there's enough out there but I kind of I kind of want to do one just because it's so tough to squeeze in Americans abroad talk U.S. men's national team talk U.S. women's national team talk international soccer talk and MLS when you're talking about MLS having 27 teams crazy 27 teams so maybe it's time for a an MLS specific podcast so we'll see uh I, that's the plan that's the plan so uh I don't know when that'll start, but it's in. I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So, But we will still talk about MLS on the SBI show. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. But in terms of just being able to break down match by match and really dig into it, I think you need a separate show to, to do it justice, to really get into all the topics I'd love to get into. Because I, I almost feel like I don't cover MLS any. I mean, I cover it, but it's just tough to get to so much. I mean, I'm looking at the rundown right now of the of the midweek matches. Toronto. They won their first match after Chris Armis was fired. Big 3-2 win. Uh, interesting that all these players who weren't around for Armis' last game magically appeared and were in the lineup. Alejandro Pozuelo, Kamal Lawrence. They beat New England. And that's a big one for Toronto. Obviously, New England beating New England in New England. That's a that's a big feather in the cap there. Obviously, New England without Matt Turner, who was in the U.S. National Team cap. But still, that's a big win for them. Uh, NYCFC losing to Montreal. A little surprising there. Uh, Chicago. Continuing their all of a sudden two-game winning run, which for them is counts as a winning, winning run because they hadn't won in I don't know how long before that. Great to see there the, the fire start to put it together. And Rafael Wicke, I think he had to be feeling the heat a little bit before these two wins. Now with these two wins, you kind of get the feeling that they're starting to realize the potential that's been there. And uh, Orlando, Orlando's in a bit of a, a little bit of a funk right now. They've, they've dropped a couple of a couple of matches in a row, um, which is a little surprising. I mean, they're obviously a good team. And international absences, obviously Dario Dike's is away, and they're missing a few players. Uh, Pedro Gaya has obviously been in the Copa America, so you know they'll they'll be okay. Orlando City is going to be fine. Uh, LAFC goes to Austin, beats Austin two zero. LAFC, they they, I don't want to say they've been on cruise control, but. We haven't seen LAFC be, LA, be the dominant LAFC that that we kind of come to expect them to be. But I feel like this win, this 2-0 win, was a pretty impressive win. Because, look, Austin coming off their big win over Portland, they're at home. And if for LAFC to go there and get that win, I think that's maybe a harbinger that, look, LAFC's, they're ready. They're ready to start maybe taking it up a few notches to where we know they can take it. So we'll see. And how about Thomas Romero, by the way, the LAFC goalkeeper, young goalkeeper, someone to keep track of and keep, keep an eye on in terms of potential U.S. men's national team prospects as well. Colorado Rapids beat Minnesota 2-0. That's a good win there for Robin Frazier's men. Obviously, they're missing some players due to international duty, including Kellen Acosta, but big win for them. Actually, let me make sure. I'm looking at the at the results here, the scoreboard. I did find it interesting that, that you had several players from the U.S. men's national team who Still played in their midweek games. Obviously, not everybody had a midweek game. But I'm looking here. I just want to double check the Colorado starting lineup. And no, I stand corrected. Calvin Acosta did play in the 2-0 win. And that's a big win. That's a big win for Colorado. Minnesota United, uh, not as good on the road, obviously, as they are at home. But still, that's a good win for Colorado and Robin Frazier. And let's see some of the some of the other results. Atlanta... Two two. Jackson Conway. How about Jackson Conway, the young homegrown player scoring an equalizer for them? That's a big result, uh, and, and it just shows you how much how much Atlanta has been struggling. That they're happy with uh, <laughs> that they're happy with a draw in Nashville shows you shows you just kind of the state of of things in Atlanta. But look, you know what? Whatever you need to kind of help, it would have been much worse if Atlanta lost in Nashville just to kind of keep that tailspin going. But I still have hope that Atlanta is gonna going to start figuring figuring things out. LA Galaxy beat FC Dallas. I, I I happened to watch that one. Uh that was an impressive win. Greg Vanny Greg Vanny's doing some good things with there. Side note, Justin Che, right? Justin che is playing uh for FC Dallas. He's been getting a run of games. Uh he's been getting regular minutes. He's a promising defender. He's a youngster. He's, I think I believe he's still 17. He's a center back, right? He's been playing. He's played at right back, right wing back. I, I believe he's more of a. Cent- I think his future is at center back. But for right now, they're throwing him out at right back. People need to take it easy with Justin Che and and hyping him up. Uh, maybe ahead of schedule. Like I just I stumbled onto a cl- like a, a highlight clip of him. Someone put together of, of one of his recent matches, and it was I was watching. I watched it. I watched it, and I'm like, why did they make this? Like this is not that impressive, and. When it boils down to it, right now he's getting experience. You can tell he's got some tools. You can tell he's, and to only be 17, like he's he's a promising player. But people, I can tell already, people are are, are getting a little little ahead of themselves when it comes to Justin Che. And, and you get into that mode where you start over, over-hyping. You start kind of looking at simple things and making them bigger than they are. Let's relax, okay? Justin Che is a promising prospect. He's not there yet. He needs plenty of seasoning. And I get it. Greg Berhalter had some nice things to say about him. He was obviously in the in the May camp in Switzerland. He got a chance to take a look at him. He has a bright future. But for right now, he's just kind of a placeholder in FC Dallas. He's getting a chance to get some playing time. I wish he could play at center back. I would like to see him getting games at center back. But you know what? You play him at right back. You get him some time as a wing back. Get let, Help him develop um, some other aspects of his game. But he has, he needs to develop. So let's let him develop. Some people need to chill the heck out. Uh, And then Julian Araujo actually looked really good in that game. Obviously, you kind of temper your enthusiasm about Araujo because you don't know if he's going to play for the U.S., but still, super talented player, signed a new contract with the LA Galaxy, and I'm curious to see what kind of interest there is in him on the transfer market. As I said last episode, it doesn't matter that he signed a new deal. That doesn't mean now he won't be sold. It just means now the Galaxy can really name their price if he's sold. So... I still give Araujo, Araujo one more year in MLS and then I think he's gone. I think he's going to move on to Europe unless one of the big Mexican clubs comes in with some serious, serious money to try to pry him away from the Galaxy. And via the Galaxy, you sell if the price is right. So uh, I thought that was interesting watching that game. The Galaxy, man. I like what the, I like what they've put together the, with the talent on the wing, the dynamism on the wing, and with Chicharito playing like he's playing, That's gonna the Galaxy are, are going to be a handful and one other game uh, from Thursday I was actually going to go to this game um but then I ended up not not going to it the Red Bulls and Union played to a 1-1 draw on Thursday uh, a bit of a sad one in that uh Matt Fries the Philadelphia Union goalkeeper uh got red carded in this game and you know for those who don't know his his uh, his father actually passed away a few days prior to that and you got to think that from an emotional standpoint it was a tough time for him and you know, it's not easy to, to deal with the passing of a of a of a, of, a parent, of your father, and then to go out and play, and obviously, you know, to get the red card. And credit to the union, they battled back from a man down to get the uh, to get the equalizer, eighty fifth minute, Sergio Santos to get a point from there. Uh, the Red Bulls are an interesting one, I got to say. Uh, I'm definitely planning in the second half of the season now, or in the post Gold Cup break, I, I am going to start spending more time around the Red Bulls and uh, trying to cover the Red Bulls more once they start opening up training and, and there'll be the chance to do interviews and whatnot and, 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 you know, get back to my roots of covering the Red Bulls. I mean, for those who don't remember, I used to cover, I covered the Red Bulls for years. Well, even back before, when they were the Metro stars and they're an interesting team. They're an interesting team. And, you know, I think Gerhard Struber deserves a lot of credit just because when Aaron long went down injured, you really saw that, that, that really looked like, could this be what really crushes it and, and crushes them and, and have, has them turn into kind of an, and also ran. But instead, they've really responded well. Um, Patrick Klimala is looking like a great signing for them. And obviously, the Brazilian striker Fabio is doing a great job for them. And you wonder how Caden Clark's going to continue to develop. So they, they've got a promising thing going there with the Red Bulls now. Um, they're not quite in terms of legitimate MLS Cup contender, no. But they're a fun team to watch. They're developing some really good talent. And they're going to be a handful. So I thought that was interesting. But the union, the Union, for my money, still... I think they are. They're still. I think they're an MLS Cup contender when they have their full strength squad. Um, and that was a that was a big point for them uh, to get at Red Bull Arena. One other MLS item to touch on: Eric Hartato, uh was traded by CF Montreal to the Columbus Crew, and he was traded for some allocation money. So I, I think two hundred two hundred grand in allocation. And it's. On its own, it might seem like, oh, what's this trade? It's whatever. He's a you know backup forward. It gives him some depth uh, for the crew. Jossie artist is at the Gold Cup. Bradley Wright Phillips is injured. So what's, you know, not a big deal. But the interesting side note to this trade is the fact that reportedly, and actually not reportedly, it was actually stated by Montreal's front office, part of the reason Hurtado was traded was because he is not vaccinated and he doesn't plan to get vaccinated. And him not being vaccinated makes things complicated for Montreal because of Canada's restrictions surrounding COVID-19 and surrounding uh, Montreal going back to Canada. Now, Montreal hasn't been able to play in Canada or even train in Canada uh, for since since this pandemic happened. And only now are teams being allowed to go back. And there's obviously issues relating to that. And when you have a player who is not vaccinated, it just makes things complicated in terms of travel, in terms of what they can do, can and can't do. So Montreal made the decision, listen, this is going to become a real issue. He won't even really be able to be around the team. So rather than have him just sit around, why don't we find somewhere to trade him to make it work out for him and for us? And I'll tell you what, if, if you're Eric Hurtado... You know what? It's his decision. He can do what he wants. He can decide to not be vaccinated. He can decide he doesn't want to get vaccinated. And if you look at it, Eric Hurtado didn't do too badly in this whole thing because he goes from Montreal, a team that's a bit of a kind of middle of the pack, not a lot expected from the team, may or may not be a playoff team, to joining a Columbus Crew team that just opened a new stadium, is a legitimate MLS Cup contender. They're the reigning champions, and as much as they've had... For them, disappointing results. They are going to be there in the end. They are going to be a playoff team. They are going to be a force when the postseason comes around. So if you're Eric Hurtado, you're doing pretty well for yourself now going from Montreal to Columbus. Obviously, the whole vaccine situation is, is a tricky one, especially for the Canadian teams. And as we know, some other players have, have, have kind of voiced their uh, reluctance. To be vaccinated, I believe. I believe Nick DeLeon, the the TFC midfielder, has been very vocal about he will not be vaccinated. That he's not happening. He doesn't believe in it. He's gonna just you know do his own thing, not be vaccinated. So will TFC do the same thing? Of course. According to the Vancouver Whitecaps, all their players are vaccinated. So that so the, as far as their go as far as my, as far as the Whitecaps go, they're set. They don't even have to worry about it. They'll be back in Canada when the time comes. But TFC, you wonder how many of the TFC players are going to end up or are will be in that similar situation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens on the trade front if that's the case. And if, you know, Toronto makes a similar decision to what Montreal made with Eric Hurtado. Um, and I don't know if anyone should, like, I get it. Some people are going to freak out about this whole thing and make it a bigger deal than it is and and criticize Montreal for doing that. But from a practical standpoint, why would you not? If you're Montreal and you have a player who, given the situation, given the whole whole COVID restrictions situation in Canada, and you have a player who you probably are going to just have to put on the shelf, why would you not trade him and get something back for him? And then you're trading him somewhere that's actually good. They're not sending him off to, you know some usl affiliate or or some you know really really bad team they're sending him to the defending mls cup champions who just opened a new stadium like are you kidding me he's doing all right i don't think hurtado is complaining but of course it is what it is people are going to complain and make a big deal about it or bigger deal about it than it is it is interesting though because i think it's like the first time at least that i know that you had a situation of a player in any sport that a trade was was generated because of the pandemic so i thought it is an interesting side note And that wraps it up for this episode of the SBI show. Apologies for the rants and the, in the, in the lengthy diatribes. But, uh, I think we touched on all the topics. Uh, if you're listening to this now, hopefully, uh, you're getting ready to watch the Copa America final and, or it already happened. Argentina, Brazil, Saturday night. Uh, it's a man. Talk about a crazy weekend, not just the soccer, but the UFC, the NBA finals, uh, Wimbledon, I think, I think still going on. It, 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 if you're a sports fan, there's something for you to watch this weekend. But if you're a soccer fan, especially Argentina Brazil, uh, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Argentina. You know what? Brazil is the favorite. They should win. But Argentina, you just wonder: Can Lionel Messi finally lift the trophy that's you know eluded him? The senior trophy, senior team trophy that has eluded him with Argentina. It's gonna be a great final. Neymar's up for it. You can you know Neymar's not gonna make it easy, even though Messi's his boy. I think that's gonna be a great final, fun final. I think there's gonna be Gold's galore. I hope there's Gold's galore. Uh and then obviously on Sunday you have the Euro 2020 final, Italy, England. I don't I can't imagine anyone who isn't English will root for England. Like I gotta imagine anyone outside of England's gotta be rooting for Italy. Because who wants who wants to hear England fans? brag about winning the Euros as I said I said last episode England fans are insufferable enough we don't need them to win a title so but it's you know what if they win credit to them this is going to be the toughest test they face because look at look at who's look at England's run to the final the most impressive win in that whole resume was against a a Germany team that isn't the same Germany team that it used to be credit to beating you know you beat Denmark that, that you know you give them some credit for that but Italy's run has been far more impressive. They've been a more impressive team in this tournament. And that's why, you know what? Even with the home field advantage, you got I, I like Italy's chances. I like Italy's chances to win it. But hopefully I'm just hoping for a good final, memorable final. You always hope for goals galore, but you know how it goes. You know how finals go. Hopefully. Hopefully we get a three or four or five goals in this one. I'm gonna pick Italy. And I'm gonna pick you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna pick Argentina, even though I have a feel you know what, heartbreak. I feel like heartbreak's coming again for Messi, but hopefully Argentina gets done. The last thing I, I did want to touch on is uh, a, bit of, a bit of sad news. Um, Paul Mariner, the, the former New England Revolution assistant, former Toronto FC coach, uh, Arsenal legend, uh, England striker, uh, has passed away. And he was, I gotta say, he's someone who, and he obviously worked in television as well after after, after the coaching career. He, he worked quite a bit extensively uh, working as an analyst. Great, great guy. Great, great person, human being. Um, someone who, you know, he already had put together an amazing like life and career before he ever came to America. He comes to America and, and makes a real, real impact on the game here as a coach, uh, as a mentor, working in tv and just just the kind of guy he was he was just a you, you won't find you won't find many or but any people who have a bad thing to say about paul mariner he was a class class person and funny funny guy uh already missed already missed and obviously i mean i wasn't close to him as so many other people but i had a chance to be around him and, and spend time with him and he was he was always a joy to be around and he definitely will be missed rest in peace paul Mariner. Um, that's it. We've covered everything. Thank you for listening. We'll be back on hopefully Monday to recap everything, to recap Copa America, Euro 2020, and of course the start of the Gold Cup and the U.S. Men's National Team as they march on to try to ruin Mexico's inevitable run to the final. Um, we'll see if it happens. We'll see if the Bucio debut happens and we'll have plenty to talk about on Monday. But that's all for now. I'm Ivis Colarsep. This is the SBI show.